invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And this morning we will be looking at verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. If you do not have your Bible with you, I encourage you to use uh, one of the Bibles that we've provided for you. And you should find one wherever you're seated. And you will find our passage on page 1008. 1008. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll begin reading for us in verse 1 and uh, read through to verse 2. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the blessing, the opportunity, the privilege that it is to gather and to worship you. Lord, we are so grateful for your word we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And we thank you, Lord, that even as you speak through your word, as we have just sung, that you grant new life to dead souls. That for those who have been born again, Lord, you revive us and renew us. That you give us fresh strength and hope and encouragement. So, Father, we turn now to your word and we do so in faith. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would apply your word to each of our hearts and that we would be strengthened, we would be encouraged. We pray even, Lord, that the dead would be raised for your glory. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, our mission as a church is to glorify God by enjoying living and proclaiming the gospel. And over a three-year period, we are giving special attention to each element of our mission statement. We're doing so in six-month increments. And so you see the slide here on the wall that lays out the plan that we are pursuing. And so the first half of this year, we've been focused on the glory of God. And then we will be focusing on the gospel. Uh, next year, we'll be focusing on making disciples and then enjoying the gospel. And in 2023, we'll be focusing on living the gospel and then proclaiming the gospel. So the first half of this year, we've been focused on this theme of the glory of God. And in particular, we've been giving attention to this theme from uh, the book of, or the letter of 1 Timothy, and then the book of Isaiah, and now currently in the book of Hebrews. And let me just mention an aside here, just very quickly, uh, that the rest of this year, uh, so this, mo this morning, this will be our last sermon in our series in Hebrews, and then the rest of this year, we're going to be focusing on the theme of the gospel. And so next Sunday, something I'm really looking forward to, and I believe has potential for great spiritual benefit for each of us individually and for us as a church as well, next Sunday, I will be again a series in the book of Galatians as we focus on the theme of the gospel. And not only that, but this fall in our uh, seminar series, 
in our cohorts on Sunday morning, just before the Sunday morning service, as uh, we're going to be wrapping up Matthew, then going into the fall, we will be picking up a study in the book of Romans. So we'll be doing Romans in our Sunday school or cohort hour, and then we'll be doing Galatians in our Sunday morning services, two books that are just full of gospel truth, two books that are critical to any Christian, uh, the health of any Christian in their Christian life, and, and critical to the health of any local church. And so really looking forward to these series that are coming up and encourage you to commit to both of those and be faithful to attend. But this morning, we're finishing up the book of Hebrews, and we're finishing up our focus on the theme of God's glory. And as we look again to the book of Hebrews, I want to remind you of the context in which this letter was written. You'll remember that this letter is written to a group of Hebrew Christians who were well acquainted with the Old Testament Scriptures and who were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. There were other Jews who were not Christians who perceived their faith in Jesus to be a threat to traditional Judaism. And so they had targeted this group of Jewish Christians. When this letter was written, these Christians were tired, they were worn out, they were discouraged by the persecution that they had been experiencing, and some of them were even questioning their relatively new faith in Jesus. Some of them were tempted to renounce their faith in Jesus and return to their former lifestyle, to a lifestyle that was more safe and secure. And so the author of Hebrews is writing these Jewish Christians to encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus. This is the great theme throughout the book of Hebrews. He is writing to encourage them to persevere, to endure in their commitment to Christ. Now in doing so, the author of Hebrews here in our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 12 likens the Christian life to a race. Of course, this is an athletic analogy that is often used in the New Testament to speak about the Christian life. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Or the Apostle Paul at the end of his life, looking back over his life and over his ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In our text this morning, the author of Hebrews continues with this theme of, of this analogy of likening the Christian life to a race. And actually, as you look at these two verses carefully in verses 1 and 2, it becomes apparent that um, there's only really one primary command in these two verses. And the primary command is run. Now, I said this is apparent, but actually it's, it's not quite as apparent in the English translations. Now, translators understandably want to smooth out the translation, make it as readable and as accessible as possible. But when you look at the original language, it's very clear that there's only one primary command in these two verses, and that command is to run. Everything else hangs on this command. So the primary instruction is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, it's just worth noting here that as the 
Author of Hebrews likens the Christian life to a race. It's worth noting here that the call to follow Jesus does not simply involve a one-time decision. You know, some people wrongly perceive the Christian life this way. Perhaps they hear the gospel and they think, yeah, sign me up for for, uh, Team Jesus. I'm, I'm up for that. But then as they go along with their life, that decision, that action has no real implications for their life moving forward into the future. It's like some folks in terms of how they treat a gym membership, right? Like you sign up for a gym membership and you go one or two times and you keep paying the fee, but you never go again. Have you ever done that? I've been guilty of that before. Some people treat the Christian life that way. They sign up at some point. They make some type of profession. They take some type of act to identify with Jesus, but then it doesn't have any kind of long-term effect in their lives. And the author of Hebrews here is indicating that a response to the call of Jesus commits us to a race. That a response to the call of Jesus puts us on a path. That a response to the call of Jesus sets and determines the future course of our lives. And we are to run. We are to run that race. We are to stay on that path. We are to finish the course that is set before us. Listen, my friends, if you have mistaken the call to follow Jesus as a one-time decision, and you are not actively running the race of the Christian life right now, then you have misunderstood the gospel. And you have misunderstood the call of Jesus. And you need to repent of living a life apart from Jesus. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus and follow Him daily in Christian discipleship. You need to join the race of the Christian life. Notice also here that the author says, though, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Some of you might be wondering, well, if the Christian life is a race, how long is that race? Especially if you're not yet a Christian and you've been wrestling with contemplating the call to follow Jesus. Perhaps you've been struggling with answering that call and you're especially interested to know, if I embark on this journey, how long will the race last? Well, the race in the Christian life lasts from our new birth until our death. The race of the Christian life lasts from our new birth. That's when when God spiritually awakens us and we trust in the Lord Jesus until the day that we die. For some, that might seem like a sprint. We think about the thief on the cross who was dying beside the Lord Jesus and he said to Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus promised the thief on the cross that that day he would be in paradise. For others, that race might seem more like a 5K or a 10K, a a shorter race, three miles, six miles. Maybe they come to faith in Christ later on in life or, or they die early in life. They don't have as long to walk with Jesus in this life. 
But for most, it's a marathon. We could say it's an ultra-marathon. It's a long, grueling test of endurance. And that doesn't mean that it's without joy. It doesn't mean that it's without blessings and exhilarating victories and beautiful moments of, of, of vistas that you look and behold and enjoy. But it does mean that for most Christians, it's not a sprint. Nor is it an evening stroll around the block. But rather, for most Christians, the Christian life is a race of endurance that requires strength and perseverance and faithfulness. Eugene Peterson has famously observed that the Christian life is, quote, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. But there's something encouraging about this as well. Notice that the author of Hebrews does not say, run with speed the race that is set before you. He doesn't say, run with pizzazz the race that is set before you. And so understand that the goal in the Christian life is not to run fast. It's not to run flashy. It's simply to run and to keep running and keep running and keep running with endurance, with perseverance, with faithfulness. Recently, I came across a short video on Facebook where a group of people were racing a tortoise and a hare. And you all know the story of how that goes, but it was interesting just to see it live. And uh, so they had, they had constructed two lanes that were narrow, and each of the lanes had walls on both sides. They're only about probably six inches high on each side to keep the animals on track. And uh, so they started off, and the turtle was here, and the rabbit was here, and inevitably, the rabbit, who's, of course, much faster, gets distracted. He starts running, and then he peers over one side of the wall, and he peers over the other side of the wall, and then he goes backwards a little bit, and then he'll go forwards a little bit. And the tortoise, which is a big old tortoise, he just kind of slowly lumbered and plodded all the way down, and he defeated the rabbit. And in many ways, that's a beautiful illustration of the Christian life. You know, there are some who start out the Christian life with a bang. They're right out of the gate, like a bolt of lightning. But they don't persevere. So many do not finish the race. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us here that as Christians, the goal is not to be flashy. The goal is not to be fast. The goal is faithfulness. Faithful obedience, faithful endurance, faithful perseverance, as long as the Lord gives us breath. One author has said, quote, our great virtue as Christians is not speed, but perseverance, end of quote. 
when our text this morning as the author of Hebrews admonishes us to run the race of the Christian life and the rest of our time together, I want us to see that like a great Olympian coach, the author of Hebrews now comes alongside us and as he has he shown us the course, as he's shown us the race we must run, he now gives us three keys or three instructions to how we should run this race and how we can run this race in such a way that we finish the race victoriously. So the first key is this. Understand your advantage. Understand your advantage. Look there in verse 1. We read these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is our great advantage. Now, the author of Hebrews, when he refers to this great cloud of witnesses, who is he referring to? Who are these witnesses? Well, notice that chapter 12, verse 1, begins with the word, therefore, which connects chapter 12, verse 1, with the previous chapter, chapter 11. And as many of you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the more well-known passages in Scripture. Some people refer to it as the Hall of Faith because Hebrews chapter 11 uh, contains a myriad of Old Testament saints who are examples of faith. And so the author of Hebrews includes examples in Hebrews chapter 11 like Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham, and Moses. In fact, at one point, the author of Hebrews, he he gives up trying to recount them all. In chapter 11, verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And so Hebrews chapter 11 contains all these tremendous examples of faith from the Old Testament saints. And so it is in reference to all of these faithful saints in the past that the author of Hebrews now writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great, so many a cloud of witnesses, that is, faithful saints who have endured in the past, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, look to them, to the examples of those who have been faithful in the past and run the race like them. Run the race and endure to the end as they were faithful to persevere in their own race. Now some have imagined that the scene that is being depicted here is of a stadium full of Old Testament saints. And they are observing, they are cheering us on today as we are present-day Christians running the race. And it's possible that there may be some sense here that the author has that in mind. But as many commentators have pointed out, I believe that the author here is stressing not so much that the Old Testament saints are observing and watching us, as much as he is stressing the necessity that we observe and watch them that we observe and watch their faithfulness, their perseverance, so that we might follow their example. And we should watch them, because if we are in Christ, then listen, my friends, this is remarkable, then Abel and Enoch and Noah 
and Abraham and Moses and all the others, they represent our spiritual pedigree. These are our people. These are the people to whom we belong because we are in Christ. And what a tremendous advantage if we are to locate our race and locate our story in the context of the larger story, the larger race that has been run throughout history, the larger story of their story, our race fits into that story. And we can look to them as an example. Reflecting on this passage, Richard Phillips, who's a Christian pastor, challenges us to consider this question. What is the context? What is the arena in which you as a Christian interpret your life? What is the context? What is the arena in which you even unconsciously perceive or interpret your life? Do you view your Christian life in the context of the 24-hour news cycle? Constantly feeling the bombardment of a secular society closing in on us. And so when you're running the race, you're anxious. You have a lot of angst. Maybe even resentment. Or do you view your Christian life, the perception of your Christian life, largely in the context of your peers and what they think about you and how they perceive you? And so you're always fearful of, do they accept me? Do they not? What are they thinking about me? How do they evaluate me? Do you view your Christian life in the context of the dysfunctional family in which you grew up? And so as you run, you're fearful that you're doomed to repeat all the tragic mistakes that they committed. Do you view your Christian life in the context of your ethnic identity or social standing so that you think you're discouraged as you run and you're always thinking, I'll never get ahead, I'll never break free, I'll never get beyond this. Listen, the Hebrew Christians here were tempted to primarily think of their Christian lives in the context of their persecutors. Those who were out to oppose them. And so they were tempted to run discouraged and weak and weary and distraught and hopeless. And the author of Hebrews says to them, and he says to us, that we need to understand our advantage. We need to understand to whom we belong. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have faithfully persevered and endured in the race till the end and been victorious. And we need to read about them. And we need to know them. And we need to draw strength and inspiration from them. And we need to follow their example. Do you view your Christian life in the context of this? And all those who have gone before us? We need to locate our story in the larger context of their story. We need to recognize the spiritual family to whom we belong. And in so doing, we will find strength to run the race with endurance. The second key is this. Not only know your advantage, but the second key is this. Put away any obstacles. Put away any obstacles. 
Look there in verse 1, and we read these words. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So notice here that the author of Hebrews identifies two obstacles to running the race. The obstacles are weight and sin. Weight and sin. So notice, he says, first of all, let us lay aside every weight. Now, no runner in his right mind would run a a race with weights. I mean, can you imagine a runner setting off on a marathon? He has a big bag of weights strapped to his back. In fact, serious runners do just the opposite, right? They attempt to remove all and any unnecessary weight. And so they typically run with light gear. They choose to wear minimal or light clothes. They may spend a lot of uh, money on high-quality light shoes because they want to remove anything that would weigh them down and impede their ability to run the race. And perhaps here the author is making a distinction between weight and sin in the sense that sin is something that is clearly a violation of God's commands, of God's Word, whereas weight could simply be something that is good, yet becomes a hindrance or an obstacle. I have no interest here in promoting a sense of false guilt The Lord has blessed us in this life with many, many good things, and those things are to be enjoyed, and they are to be enjoyed for His glory. But we don't have to run the race very long. We don't have to read into our Bibles very far before we realize that there are many things in this life, good things, that can potentially become hindrances or obstacles as we run our race. Oftentimes, these are good things that are taken in excess or good things that are elevated to ultimate things. So it can be good periodically to watch a movie and get a break. It can be debilitating to our ability to run the race if we are addicted to endless entertainment. It can be a good thing, and it is a good thing, to work hard and to work as unto the Lord. But it can be severely, it can severely handicap us in our race if work becomes an idol, an obsession, where it's all we think about, it's all we do. Sports are a tremendous blessing, and being involved in athletic activities. But when sports become an obsession and block out our ability, take up all of our time and and prevent us from committing ourselves to spiritual disciplines and being actively involved in a local church, then sports can become a tremendous hindrance to our ability to run the race. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that we, we need to be like a runner who's, who's going over his gear before a race, cutting out any excess weight, selecting the best lightweight material and shoes. We need to review our lives. We need to review our priorities. We need to review our relationships and ask, does this hinder or does this 
help me run the race. And anything that hinders, the author of Hebrews says, lay it aside. Cast it away so that you might run the race with endurance. But not only should we lay aside every weight, notice that the author of Hebrews goes on to say, let us lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Some of your translations might read, let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles or ensnares. If we were to translate this phrase here, which clings so closely, understand that this is not an advantage. I know that many runners today, especially professional runners, they will wear very tight-fitting clothes when they run. Uh, They want to wear clothes that are tight and sleek to avoid any wind resistance. But the author here is not referring to tight, sleek, athletic clothing. In fact, the word that is used here, one Greek dictionary translates this word as controlling tightly. Or another Greek dictionary captures the sense of this word with the translation constricting. Another dictionary says that it, it's, it's the idea of controlling or constricting with the purpose of preventing or retarding running. So have you ever been running in a pair of jeans or in a pair of nice dress pants and you just you can't really move your legs like you want to? Or have you ever been running in a big, thick jacket and you can't really get your arms moving like you want to? Because it's constricting you, it's constraining you. That's what the author of Hebrews is getting at here. That ongoing, unrepentant sin in our lives, it constricts, it it, it constrains our spiritual vitality so that we can't get going, we can't catch our stride, we get stuck. So the author of Hebrews says we must lay it aside. The other possible way to translate this phrase is the sin which so easily entangles or ensnares. It sounds a little bit like running with your shoes untied. You might be able to do so for a little while, but eventually you'll get entangled, you'll get ensnared, you'll trip up and wipe out. And so the author of Hebrews here is warning us of the negative and dangerous consequences of sin as we seek to run faithfully the Christian race. And so listen, my friends, if your life is characterized by explosive anger or an addiction to pornography or harsh and cutting words or greed or bitterness or pride, you will have a very difficult time making progress in your Christian life. Because unrepentant, unconfessed sin will constrain you. It will constrict your ability to make progress. It will entangle you and ensnare you and keep you from moving forward. And so the author of Hebrews says, lay it aside, cast it away. And why? So that Get this, so that you may run free, unhindered, unencumbered, free in the power of the Holy Spirit as you walk by faith and in obedience. Don't you want that? 
Don't you want that? Don't you want to run in such a way that whenever, whenever there's a hindrance, an obstacle, sin, you're casting it aside so that you may freely and consistently make progress in your Christian life? That's what the author of Hebrews wants for his readers. And that's what he wants for us. So, you need to understand your advantage. You need to cast away every hindrance, every obstacle. And the third key to running the Christian life with faithful endurance is to look to Jesus. Look there in verses 1 and 2 and reread these words. The latter part of verse 1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we to do it? Verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is a perfect place to conclude our series in the book of Hebrews. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Of course, as we said before, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to encourage these Hebrew Christians who are persecuted to persevere, to endure in their faith. And how has the author of Hebrews encouraged them to do so? Over and over and over and over again. He has pointed them to Jesus. As the Apostle Paul says it in his letter to the Corinthians, he has pointed them to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ. Repeatedly, the author of Hebrews shows his readers how Jesus is greater, how he is superior to the old covenant. Just in our short series in the book of Hebrews, we've been in Hebrews for about seven to eight weeks, we have seen that Jesus is greater than the angels, that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament prophets, that Jesus is greater than Moses. That Jesus is greater than the priest of the Old Covenant. That Jesus is greater than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And finally this morning, the author of Hebrews declares that Jesus is greater than any other hero. In particular, any other spiritual hero in the Old Testament. Heroes like Abel and Enoch and Abraham, and Moses, and many, many more. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater. You may look to them, but ultimately you must look to Jesus. And why is he greater? Notice what's said here in the text. The Old Testament saints are great examples of faith, but do you see what the author of Hebrews says here in our passage? The Old Testament saints are great examples of faith, but Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Therefore, he is greater. He is superior. Look to him. Now consider what this means, that Jesus is the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. First of all, he's the founder of our faith. Some of your translations might read that he's the author, the source of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the one by whom and upon whom our faith is founded. It is not an overstatement to say that Christianity stands or falls upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the founder. He is the author. He is the source of our faith. But He is also the perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. 
He is the one who completes our faith. Last week, we considered how Jesus is the great high priest who offers his own body as a sacrifice for our sins, offering the perfect sacrifice for our redemption. And you remember that as Jesus died on the cross and he offers himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, he declared, it is finished. And then Jesus was raised from the dead, conquering our final enemy, death. And then Jesus ascends to the Father, where he intercedes on our behalf, praying for our spiritual progress and protection. And Jesus has declared that he will not lose one whom the Father has given to him. In other words, Jesus has done and is doing everything necessary to complete the redemption and salvation of those who belong to him. He is the finisher, the perfecter, of our faith. And so the author of Hebrews says, yes, look to the Old Testament saints. Draw inspiration. Draw strength from them and their example. But ultimately, look to Jesus, who is the founder and, protect and, and perfecter of our faith. Trust Him as your Redeemer and follow Him as your example. Notice the author of Hebrews goes on to say more about Jesus here, and he indicates that as we look to Jesus as our ultimate example, we must recognize the role that joy played in Jesus' faithful obedience to his Father. You see there in the latter part of verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy. So Jesus was strengthened, he was encouraged, he was enabled to persevere in his own race by joy. The joy of redeeming his own people, the joy of glorifying His Father, the joy of the prospect of being in the presence of His Father forever seated at His right hand. And the expectation of this joy, notice the power of this, the expectation of this joy in Jesus' life enabled Him to despise or to scorn the shame of the cross and to finish the race and the mission that the Father had given him. Now, to despise or to scorn the cross means that Jesus treated the cross as though it was of little value or consequence. And that does not mean, we need to be careful here, that does not mean that the cross in Jesus' mind was no big deal or that the cross didn't hurt, or that the cross wasn't the source of excruciating pain. We know, we remember the cries, the groans, the drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus cried out to His Father and contemplated the possibility of the cross. But what this does mean is that at the end of the day, when Jesus compared the sufferings of the cross with the joy that was set before him, he determined no comparison. No comparison. 
when he contemplated the joy that would be set before him, he determined that the cross was of little or no significance. He despised it. He scorned it. He would rather not go to the cross. You remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? If possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He would rather have not gone to the cross, but if the cross was necessary in order to redeem his people and glorify his Father, then he did not regret in the least his decision to embrace his Father's will, to walk in obedience, because the joy set before him was of incomparable value. In so doing, notice what the author of Hebrews says here. He turned the experience of the cross inside out. Despising the shame, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the great reversal, right? So so that the cross, which is the ultimate symbol of disgrace and shame and humiliation, is transformed now into a symbol of salvation and redemption and eternal joy. Because through the shame and disgrace of the cross, Jesus redeemed all of God's people. And he ensured his joy and the joy of his people forever. And so the author of Hebrews is asking his readers, he's asking us by implication, what is the cross that God is asking you to bear in your Christian race? Look to Jesus and despise the cross, count it of little value in comparison to the joy, to the glory that will be yours one day in Christ when you finish the race. So these are the three keys. The three keys to faithfully running the race with endurance and finishing victoriously. Understand your advantage. Put away any obstacles. Look to Jesus. And as we conclude this message and as we conclude our larger series in the book of Hebrews, I want to leave you with one final quote from John Owen. Owen here is admonishing us to look to Jesus. He's admonishing us to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which is really the whole message of the book of Hebrews. And he writes this, quote, a constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and to thrive. The more we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and His glory, these things will be expelled. This is how our spiritual life is revived. End of quote. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I do pray now for those who are here this morning who 
might at some time have identified as a Christian, but perhaps realized from your word this morning that they have never really begun the race. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would work and move. Lord, I pray that even now they would recognize how they have misunderstood the call of Jesus and the, and the message of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that they would trust in the Lord Jesus. They would follow him. They would commit themselves to a life of Christian discipleship. That they would believe and trust in Jesus as Savior and that they would follow him as Lord. Lord, I pray for those of us who are engaged in that race. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to persevere Help us to be faithful. Help us to endure. Lord, may we locate our lives in the larger context of those who have gone before us and been faithful. May we cast aside every weight, every hindrance, every sin, Lord, that threatens to disqualify us, that threatens to hinder our spiritual progression. And Lord, may we, at the end of the day, may we look to Jesus May we look to Jesus again and again and again as we go to your word, as we reflect upon the truth of Jesus and his work, as his, as the truth about him and who he is fills our minds and our hearts. And Lord, we pray that in so doing, you would empower us to be faithful, to be faithful to the end. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it.